May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be always acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Please be seated. We're glad you're here. People probably thought it was going to be storming. Karen, I have bad news. It's you. Is it true, Matthew? Because you tried that with every other box and uh, other people, and it never happens unless it's Karen. I, I don't know. There's an electromagnetic force. Oh, that's it. Okay. <laughs> well, we're glad you're here. I want to talk to you this morning about this gospel reading, the uh, wedding feast at Cana, very well-known, very famous. Um, big idea, the way I thought about this was Jesus cares about your life. Jesus cares about what if it matters to you, it matters to him. If it's a godly pursuit, if it matters to you, it matters to him. He cares about you, your situation, your circumstances, what's coming, where it's been, where you are, and it's real. Um, actually, in his gospel, John gives eight different, what he calls signs. Other gospels call them miracles, but John calls them signs. They're all different. A miracle has to do with power, but a sign reveals something that was hidden before. And what's hidden before uh, the Gospel of John, is before Jesus begins his public ministry, which he does today, is his divinity, who he is, the Son of God. And the signs look like this. First of the signs is water to wine in chapter 2. The second one is the healing of the nobleman's son in chapter 4. The third one is curing a paralytic in chapter 5. And in chapter 6, he's got two, the feeding of the 5,000 and walking on the Sea of Galilee. Uh, chapter 9 gives the sixth one, the giving of sight to the blind. Chapter 11 is number 7, that's the raising of Lazarus from the dead. And 8, in chapter 21, Jesus provides fish for the nets of the disciples. Another thing about these signs is that they always are helping people. He's not doing some big, uh, you know, make the sun drop out of the sky or something like that. He's healing someone. He's feeding someone. He's providing a catch of fish for someone. He's doing something to help people. And the reason he does that is because he cares about us. It says on the third day he got to Cana, and that probably means about three days after he had the encounter with Philip and Nathaniel, and now he's got this small group of disciples, there's five of them, and they go to this little town called Cana. Cana is a town about eight miles from Nazareth. It is a, it is a small, rural, hick town. It's not big, and one of the things you need to know is that everybody in the town knows everybody else. Nobody is saying, did you get invited to the wedding? Because everybody's invited to the wedding. They're all going to the wedding. So Jesus is invited, and it seems as though Mary, who is there, his mother, she is like the assistant wedding coordinator. She's got something to do with the wedding because she knows they run out of wine when other people don't. And she's also able to tell the servants what to do. Do whatever he tells you. That's the only command that Mary gives in the gospel. 
It's interesting to me that Jesus performs his first sign at a wedding. Of all the places he could have done it, he does it at a wedding. The wedding in those days was very important. Culturally, you had a betrothal or an engagement period for about a year. And then the day of the ceremony, the bride, the groom would take his entourage to the home of the bride. And then at night, they would go back to their, their new home. They would light candles and torches and music and dancing. And then they would have the ceremony. And then they would have the, the feast or the reception that would last from two to seven days. How many of you have ever paid for a wedding reception? Raise your hand. Thank you. Two to seven days, the whole town is there. Okay. Imagine that. No. Christ, by doing this, is really sanctifying marriage. Ceremony itself. Um, we're out of our prayer book. This is a part of the opening prayer. Dearly beloved, we have come together in the presence of God to witness and bless the joining together of this man and this woman in holy matrimony. This man and this woman. A man, a man, and a woman. One each. That's marriage. Got it? The bond and covenant of marriage was established by God in creation from the very beginning. For this reason, a man shall leave his mother and father, cleave to his wife, and the two shall become one. That's God's definition of marriage. That is the only definition of marriage that is a godly definition of marriage. I know that sounds a little narrow and restrictive, but I didn't make it up. Don't blame me. God did it. Jesus adorned this manner of life by his presence and first miracle at a wedding in Cana of Galilee. It signifies to us the mystery of the union between Christ and his church, and Holy Scripture commends it to be honored among all people. Um, marriage is, is being seen in a very different light in our culture today. It's not what it used to be. First comes love, then comes marriage, then comes baby in the baby carriage. You know, Lily and Fiona will say that, but I don't know how many other young pe younger people as they get older and can actually have a baby in a baby carriage would say that because it's changing. The idea of marriage and then living together and children is a very different dynamic today. And I, I'm hoping we can kind of get back to a more traditional understanding of that. This is what Jesus does today by being there. Well, Mary tells Jesus, well, they're out of wine. They're out of wine. They don't have any wine. In those days, hospitality was very important, and they lived in a shame culture. If they really did run out of wine at the wedding of one of their members of the community, the chances are that they would never live it down for the rest of their lives. That would be a stain and a mark on that family forever. And Jesus knows this, and Mary knows this, and they don't want this to happen. You may not have experienced this, but life doesn't always go as planned. I'm just saying. There's times when problems and troubles come our way, and we didn't expect it, we didn't see it. Whoa, where did that come from? 
flee to Jesus. Follow him. Do what he says. This is when we need to be on our knees, seeking him, asking him, going to him, saying, all right, Lord, what do I do? Don't just throw up your hands and say, all is lost. And so Mary goes to him, and he says, when she tells him that there's no wine, oh, woman, what have you to do with me? Now, that seems a little rude to me. Doesn't it when you read it like that? But it's really not. He uses this term woman with the, with the Samaritan woman. He uses it with um, the woman caught in adultery. He uses it with his mother on the cross. Woman, behold your son. He uses it here. He uses it with Mary Magdalene at the tomb when she, when she sees who he is. And it really is the term of respect. It means lady. Lady. It's a respectful term. But then when he says... What have you to do with me? What that really means is, it's kind of an idiomatic expression that means, um, take it easy, it's okay. This isn't your problem, I'll take care of it. That's what that means. I'm, this isn't your problem, I'll take care of it. But why not call Mary mother? He's, it's his mother, right? Remember, this is the beginning of Jesus' public ministry. And he doesn't call her mother because that human relationship that they've had up until this time is, go is over. This is his coming out party. Remember, I always think of, of um, Epiphany as Jesus' coming out party. Well, this is part of it. He's not going to reveal himself for who he is, a sign. But he's also telling his mother, the little boy you raised in Nazareth, that's not who we are anymore. I am now the son of God. And I'm going to be having a three-year ministry. I'm going to be moving around the countryside, and things are going to change between you and me. But I always think it's funny that he does what she says. <laughs> Listen to your mother. No matter how old you are, even if you're God, apparently. He says, my hour has not yet come. And you'll hear this expression throughout the scriptures. Um, his hour is the hour of his death. So in John 7:30, so they were seeking to arrest him, but no one laid a hand on him because his hour had not yet come. This is where he just kind of walks through the crowd, even though they all want to kill him. You know, next, uh, next Sunday, the reading for the gospel is he stands up in the synagogue after reading about Isaiah says the Messiah is coming, you know, and then he says that today the scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And he walks out, and they want to kill him, but he walks right through the crowd because his hour hasn't come yet. In John 8, 20, no one arrested him because his hour had not yet come. And there's others as well that says the same thing. So certain things have to happen before that hour of his death. So Mary says, do what he tells you. That's good advice. Do what Jesus tells you. When you tune in, do what God tells you. So when we run into situations we don't understand, once again, we need to trust that Jesus is going to work on our behalf. Mary didn't know what he was going to do, but she, she believed he was going to do something to help rectify the situation because she knew the consequences of doing nothing. And that, that was unacceptable. That wasn't going to happen. Do it. Someone wrote, we would do well to follow Mary's command to the servants to do whatever he tells you every moment of our lives. 
No one could have guessed what Jesus was about to do, but Mary's willingness to obey was settled beforehand. And we too must decide that our first reaction will be to obey rather than to question what God directs us to do. For example, are you ready to do what he says? Ask yourself, is there a cherished sin? Confess it and forsake it. Are there something that keeps tripping me up? Some pit that I keep falling into over and over and over again, despite the fact that I don't want to? Give it to God. Is there a broken relationship that needs to be healed? It doesn't always mean that you're going to be best friends with the person, but is there a relationship that's broken that needs to be healed and there's something you can do about it? Paul says, as far as it lies with you, be at peace with all people. Think about that in, in my life or your life. Are there relationships that need to be dealt with? Is there a service opportunity Christ has placed before you? Step out and do it. How many of you know how to read? Raise your hand. How many of you read on Sunday morning? Raise your hand. Hmm, there's a few fewer hands. Called a service opportunity. Hmm. Regina goes, hmm. Hmm. I mean, there's just things around here that we could use people to help with. We're gonna, Jack's going to get up here in a minute when he comes back up and talk about an opportunity to help with kids. Just, just, just in our little community here, there's things that we could be doing to help out. And wherever you are, is God calling you to use the gifts and talents that you have in a way that maybe you hadn't thought about before? Is there a need for you to feel convicted uh, to fill, be strong and meet it? Is there a higher level of commitment that Christ directs you to make? Is there something that he's asking me to do that I've been resisting? Maybe, maybe not. But think about it. That do it piece looks like, sometimes it looks like the 10 second rule, right? We, we've talked about the 10 second rule before. Um, back in 2018, I think, was Joe Johnson's first day on the job as the president of Advent. He wrote an article in the paper. I read it, I liked it. I'm walking out of a restaurant and I hear the Lord say, go see Joe Johnson. To which I said, what? It's his first day on the job, president of Advent. So I, I didn't pay any, I, and I heard it again, go see Joe Johnson. So I said, okay. Got in my car, went to Advent. I walk in and I say to the receptionist, I'd like to see the president. Oh, you would, would you? First day, first in the morning. Who should I, and she calls the secretary, and she, and she says, and who would like to see the president? It, it seemed like that. I said, Father Don Curran from Christ the King Anglican Church. Father Don Curran from Christ the King Anglican Church. Oh. Oh. Okay. You can go right up. Now, I've been going to the hospital for 20 years, but I didn't know where up was because I'd never been to the president's office. So she showed me where to go, and I went. What she didn't know is that, where's John Chrisman? Is he here? He's out in the narthex. Chrisman was the president of the volunteers at Advent, and she had in, he had invited her to come to church a couple of times. There, I can see you. He's waving. Right, you, you invited her a couple of times to come to church. So she knew who I was, and she said, oh, that would be great. Send him up. So I went up. 
and out comes the president, Joe Johnson, and we had a really nice 30-minute conversation. And I said, you know, I have a saying, all disappointment is a result of unmet expectations. I said, you have no idea of the expectations that you have before you. And we prayed, or we, we talked about that, and it was a very good conversation. So at the end, we're at the door, and he held his hands out to me, and he said, before you go, could you pray for me? And I went, I, I got to go. I, I don't have, I got, I don't have time. So sometimes it's like out of the blue and really strange and crazy. You know, I'll tell you another quick one. I've told you before, but it just is a, it's another example of this. Um, we had a woman in the hospital, in the ER, and, a, and she was, she wasn't hurt, hurt, but emotionally she was really upset, you know. The car, the insurance, my husband, my dog, one of them. And in comes the cop to take the report. And I'm going, oh, brother, this guy is like Man Mountain, Montana. Huge guy. I go, oh, this is going to be great. Just what she needs. And he comes in, and he's like perfect. He's funny. He knows what he's doing. He calms her down. He gets her to change her mind, asking all the right questions. And he was just amazing. And I, I complimented him. And I'm leaving the ER, and I hear the Lord say, go see the, go tell the chief, Greg Ram, go tell the chief. I said, what? I, I always say that. What? Go tell the chief. So I went to the police department, and I walked up to the main desk, and I've got a black suit on with a collar. And he said, can I help you, sir? I said, I'd like to see Chief Graham. <sighs> you want to see the chief? I said, yeah, Chief Graham. Chief, up here. I said, okay. <laughs> can I see the chief? And he goes, and he picks the phone up. Sir, uh, there's a police terror. Father, it's my father, Don. Father Don would like to see you just for a brief, brief moment. And I'm going, oh, he's coming out. I don't know what that was all about. Out comes Greg, and he's got on that typical, the khaki pants and the boots and all that. And I walk up, and he goes, hey, how are you? I need to talk to you about one of your guys. He goes, oh. So, yeah, so, uh, so one of our one of our parishioners in the ER, and your guy comes in. I'm doing that. Your guy comes in. He goes, yeah. I said, he was from heaven. It was like miraculous. He was perfect. I said, you need to give this guy a raise. He's amazing. You need to hire a thousand people like him. Well, that made his day. But again, it was just such an odd thing. Do it, you know. And then God shows up in weird ways because last week, Gail, where's Gail Curley? Back here. She came to see me, and she had a sheet for me, and it was a, it was a, a Biblical scripture, and part of it said, uh, do it, do it, and she had an asterisk, and down below it was um, Luke 2.5, or John 2.5, which is what our text today, do whatever he tells you. Out of the blue, she comes in to give this to me, and in the text, in her letter, is the quote from today's gospel. So, God's everywhere. Do it. There's six stone jars there. Seven is the perfect number. Six is an imperfect number. 
these jars were filled with water normally and they were used for purification. So you would hold out your hands this way, you would hold out your hands this way, you would wash your feet between each course. You would do this. Six stone jars, 20 to 30 gallons each, 120 to 180 gallons of water. It's a lot of water. And it's six because it's imperfect. And it basically, this is, it represents the imperfection of the law before Jesus. Jesus has now come with a perfect law of, of grace, mercy, and forgiveness. And he says, fill them to the brim. There's going to be nothing in here but me, but the wine that I'm going to create. So the tour tells the host uh, that he saved the best for last. And that was unusual because normally you'd say you'd give out the, the better wine first so that when people's palates were a little off, they might not notice that the wine had gotten a little cheaper. But drunkenness was frowned on back in that culture. And the, the, the deal was it was a mixture of three parts water to two parts wine. They did a lot of drinking, but it was three parts water to two parts wine. Jesus does care about your life, cares about your needs. People may not understand what you're going through. Sometimes we don't understand what we're going through, but Jesus does, and I think it's especially true in these trying times. Uh, we're experiencing things we've never experienced before. Life just seems weird in many ways. You know, um, Jovac Nokovic, the, the best tennis player in the world, for example, something weird. Uh, to get, go to Australia, you have to be vaccinated, and he's not a vaccine guy, but he's the number one tennis player in the world. He's a defending champion at, at the Australian Open. He flies in, and they've given him an exemption, but somebody complained, and they put him in a, a camp or a hotel, and then he appealed, and they said, okay, you can play, and then somebody else complained, and he went to court, and the judge just said, you can't play, so he just got on a plane and went back to Serbia. He's the number one tennis player in the world, a defending champion at the Australian Open. I mean, just, we've never seen anything like that. We live in a bubble in Florida. If you live in other parts of the country, it's, it's a very different story. Just like leaving your house, going to a restaurant, going to school, just going to church, whatever it might be, a very different set of circumstances and situations just on that one aspect of life. And we're not in a situation where we're sort of crying out for direction because we're just generally sort of living our lives, but that's not true for a lot of people. They need that kind of divine direction right now and support and sustenance. When you see Jesus come through, you, through for you today, you have hope for tomorrow. And that's what we need today is hope. It's when we come to the end of ourselves that the Lord displays his power. We've all experienced that. We've run out of road, and all of a sudden God comes through with a revelation, an answer, a situation, something that helps us get through. It's only when we recognize our own limitations that we're going to hear Jesus knocking. And when he knocks, I pray that we open the door and invite him in and sit down and eat with him. He is tied to the events of our lives. He's not some uh, remote supernatural being totally removed from our need. So many of the gods of other faiths are indifferent to us. God is not indifferent to us. Jesus and the Holy Spirit are not indifferent to us. They know us. They want to know us better. We need to open ourselves up to them on an ongoing basis. The smallest details of our lives they care about. 
I don't know what your need is today, but I pray that you would do, we would all do as Mary did and bring it to the Lord, bring it to Jesus. Do that because he cares about you. He cares about your life. Now, I'm going to play this. I played this for the uh, 8 o'clock service, and I was not going to play it for you, just for the kids. So you're going to hear this twice, but I think it's good. I tried to find a song that, that, that said, Jesus cares. They were the most depressing songs. Jesus cares about you. Yeah. So anyway, I went with this. Amen. <laughs>